Some of you may be wondering why Pastor Brian is just sitting uh, in the congregation with the rest of you. Uh, we have not fired him. Um, <laughs> no, rather we had the opportunity to have Sam Cassing. Sam is a member here at Manhattan. Uh, Prez, he's also a campus minister with Crew at K-State, uh, as well as a student at Covenant Theological Seminary, uh, furthering his education in, in uh, vocational ministry. Uh, and he has the, we had the opportunity to have him preach for us this morning. So, Sam, come Well, good morning. We'll be continuing our journey through the book of Acts today. And if you're new with us, Acts is towards the back of your Bible. And it's an account of the Holy Spirit's works through the apostles and the early church. And we're going to pick up where we left off a few weeks ago before we got iced in. And to recap where Brian had taken us before we got here, the two weeks ago, three weeks ago, uh, we saw the tragic stoning of Stephen, and then we saw a persecution arise in the church. And it, it pushed the church from Jerusalem into, Jumeri- into Judea and out into Samaria. And that's where we find ourselves in Acts 8, 9 through 25. And Luke's going gonna to change lenses here, and we're going to go from seeing the church at large scatter, and we're going to zoom in on an encounter between Philip and Simon the Magician. And and later, we'll see how Simon interacts with Peter as well. So that's where we find ourselves. So we're going to read all 16 verses, and then we're going to take it piece by piece. So if I can draw your eyes to the text, Acts 8, 9 through 25, we'll read it. But there was a man named Simon, who had previously practiced magic in the city, and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying... This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. The grass withers and the flower fades. Pray with me. Father, we gather today to sit under your word. Please give us eyes to see you in your splendor and to hallow your name accordingly. 
Give us a thirst for your kingdom and for your will to be done as it was done by Philip and Peter in this text. We ask that you would feed us from this text and cause us to adore and worship you more faithfully as a covenant community here in Manhattan. So please make us people who are our doers and not merely hearers of your word. And we ask for your sustenance today, Lord, for where else will we find it but to you? So please bless your word this morning and, and feed us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So for us to, to really feel the tension of this passage, I, I, got it, I want you to keep something at the forefront of your minds today. And what that is, is the relationship between Jews and Samaritans. That it really forms the backdrop of this text because, well, they didn't like each other. Jews and Samaritans, well, their, their cultures were diametrically opposed. They were different ethnically, they were different religiously, they were different politically. I mean, the hatred really ran so deep that if a Jewish person was walking on the road and they saw a Samaritan coming, they would walk into the ditch. That way their shadow wouldn't even touch them. That, that's the type of hostility between Jews and Samaritans that exist. And it really dates all the way back to the rebuilding of the temple under Nehemiah. And so that's where Philip has found himself, right? He's just been pushed out of Jerusalem with persecution behind him, and he's found cultural hostility in front of him. And yet we see it, what we see in this text is the Lord is giving him a hearing amongst the Samaritan people, people completely different than him. So this relationship between Jews and Samaritans, it, it really does form a lot of the dynamics as we walk through this story. So let's see how Simon, this powerful magician who's had a hearing in Samaria, really reacts to Philip. Look at verses 9 through 11 again. So there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city, and he amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man has the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. So here's Simon, this extremely influential and powerful man who's kind of full of himself because he proclaims himself. He, he knows he's powerful. And he has a hearing with all of Samaria. I mean, he's amazing people, both rich and poor. And, and they literally think that he has divine attributes. They think he has the power of God. And I think it's really easy like, to kind of gloss over this as modern people because we, we don't really think of magic as being a real thing. But his power here, it's, it's not gimmicky because it's been going on for a while. And we know it's genuine because it's hitting all of society. It's hitting poor and rich. He, he's not just preying on uneducated people or playing to the desires of wealthy people. He literally has a hearing with everyone. And so just to be clear, we're not talking about an illusionist here, right? There's, it's not like you pull your thumb off for your nephew kind of thing, right? Commentators really think that, that Simon, is, his magic is linked with demonic power. And so it's, it's drawing all of society in. It'd be like, much like a, a modern-day fireworks show. Right? We, all of society comes, and we set up and we watch, and we plan to be amazed by him. And, you know, everyone's ooing, and they're eyeing, and they're taken in. That, that's the type of hearing that Simon has. 
except for it's it's been going on for a while and it's not a once a year event that's that's what's happening so let's let's keep walking and let's see how Simon interacts with Philip as Philip comes in this Jewish man begins to proclaim a, a different message and begins to draw him himself so verse 12 but when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ they were baptized both men and women even Simon himself believed and after being baptized he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed he was amazed so notice here in verses 9 through 12 Luke the author of Acts he's beginning to to paint a contrast between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world Philip is the ambassador of the kingdom of God Simon is the ambassador of the kingdom of the world Philip proclaims Christ and, and God's kingdom Simon proclaims himself the passage begins with Simon amazing everyone and it ends with Simon himself being amazed so what Luke's saying here is is that well magic does not compare to our master right the, the magic that Simon was doing it, do, it just doesn't compare and and what we begin to see is this extraordinary change of events in Samaria I mean Literally, people have, who have identified with Simon for a while, as the text says, they've completely abandoned him, and they've openly identified with Jesus through baptism. I mean, if, if you could imagine if all of Manhattan started to identify as Jayhawk fans, right? That, that's an impossibility, right? But that, that's kind of what we're talking about here. Samaria begins to, to follow, like, follow Philip instead of Simon. So, so think of individual, I mean, think if Brian came in next Sunday and he was wearing a New York Yankees hat. It, it just, it, it could not happen, right? But, but what we're talking about in this text, well, it's actually deeper than a sports affiliation, right? It's, it's an, there's ethnic differences here, there's political difference, there's religious differences. And the whole, I mean, we know it's a really great turnover because, well, the apostles heard about it in Jerusalem, right? In verses 14 through 17, they hear about a town over that the word of God is coming and having its effect on Samaria. So it's really obvious that in this contrast, Luke, he's beginning to say, guess what? Simon, your, your reign, the kingdom of the world is coming to an end. And, and that should be encouraging for us because, well, even in, our, in Manhattan and in our own homes and in our own workplaces and in our own hearts, there's no barrier, either ethnic, political, or religious background that the gospel can't overcome. That's, that's what Luke is starting to paint here in this passage. And, he, and he's gonna, God's going to put his official seal on that mission of bringing in his kingdom here in the next few verses here. So let's, let's keep walking. Let's look at verses 14 through 17. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. All right. So after hearing those verses, you may have a lot of questions. I, I know I did. I mean, 
You may be asking, um, why do people who've already believed need a second filling of the Spirit? Or do I need a second filling of the Spirit? Why is it the apostles who have to come down and lay hands on them? You may be wondering, why did Luke stick this in the middle of this story? So let me explain. Come to seminary with me for just a sec, and I promise we'll end up at your dinner table when we're done. Here are the two things that you need to know for this chunk of scripture to fit into the larger mission of God taking the gospel to the world. The first is how it relates to Acts 1.8. If you remember, Jesus tells the apostles in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So way back when, when Brian preached on Acts 2, we saw the Holy Spirit come at Jerusalem. It was Pentecost. And the Spirit was poured out in a very public way. We saw signs and wonders as the Spirit was poured out. And we saw the beginning of God fulfilling His promise in Acts 1.8, when the Holy Spirit would come upon them in power. Well, now, this is the first time the gospel has left Jerusalem and has come in Samaria. So in fulfillment with Acts 1.8, the Spirit is going to come in a pronounced way as well. If we're to keep reading all the way to Acts 11.15, when the gospel goes to the ends of the earth, to the Gentiles, once again, we see signs and wonders for the first time, and the Gentiles begin to speak in tongues. So in the grand story of the gospel going to the world, this event is really an extension of Pentecost. It's much like Jesus' crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension. So it's, it's an unrepeatable work. So, you may be wondering, like, why does it have to be so public in Samaria? Well, because, and here's the second reason, is because it's a transition between the Old Covenant to the New. Our situation is different than theirs. Uh, we're living completely under the New Covenant, which means the early church was alive during the transition between the Old Covenant and the New. So God's giving signs and wonders throughout the book of Acts to functionally tell early believers that they no longer have to go to a physical temple to express their faith in a coming Messiah. He's saying that the Messiah has come. And this is a God-ordained transition from Judaism into Christianity. And you know that's true because I'm going to mark the apostles' words with signs and wonders, much like I marked your exodus coming out of slavery with a pillar of fire and a cloud. So that's what's happening here. So we shouldn't expect to see signs and wonders like we see in, in Acts 2, 8, and 11, because what the Lord was communicating in those events is very, was very specific. It was the unfolding of redemptive history. So this is why it matters, okay? It matters because there's no type of person who's outside the scope of Revelation 7. There is no nation, tribe, or tongue that won't be found worshiping Jesus in the end. Even Samaritans will be at the throne. And, and that's good news for us because I'm sure if you're like me, you have your personal Samaritans. The people who you think, man, there's no way they could come to know Jesus. 
But what this passage is saying, and if, if you are Theophilus and you're hearing it, you're going to think, wow, the gospel can even go to the Samaritans? It can even change the lives of Samaritans? And the answer is yes. So know this, that whoever your personal Samaritan is, well, there will be people like them in heaven. There will pe- the Lord will be drawing people just like them into his kingdom. And, and here's the second reason why it matters is, well, just like our affirmation of faith today said, when you first believed in Jesus, you, were, you received the fullness of the Holy Spirit. When, when the Spirit unites you to Christ, you get all of them. There is no such thing as a JV filling of the Holy Spirit, and you have to like come back for more. That's, that is not how it works. So let's, let's keep walking. Let's, let's see how Simon reacts with this history being ushered in, this amazing thing. Verse 18. Now when Simon saw the Spirit was given through the laying on the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you're in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. So Simon sees the kingdom being ushered in to Samaria, and he literally tries to buy the kingdom. I mean, do you see that in verse 18? He offers them money. This influential man is witnessing the history of redemption unfold before his very eyes, and the first thing he runs to is his own wealth. That's how he thinks he's going to be a part of it. He, he runs to what's always worked for him, and he tries to bribe the apostles. It's really sad. He's, he's had influence and power in Samaria for a long time, and he sees it slipping away, and he doesn't want to give it up. He, he literally sees the Holy Spirit as merely an end to his own personal means. So, so he reasons, what, what can I do, right? How can I keep this power? And he runs to money. And instantly in verse 20, Peter responds and rebukes Simon, and it's not really a, a gentle rebuke. Uh, one commentator said it translates more woodenly to, to hell with you and your money. Right? So, uh, Peter's really mad in this text. I mean, I, I think it's a compassionate anger, but he's upset. Because what, what Simon's functionally said is, is, well, the power of God is only as valuable as, as his bank account. He, he's saying that the power of God is only worth what he's been able to manufacture through his own strength and means. And Peter cuts right to the heart of the matter, and he says, your heart's in bondage, and you won't experience any of the gift of God because of it. Repent. And what does Simon say? Well, verse 24, he says, Pray to me, to the Lord, that nothing of what you said may come upon me. And you can tell Simon doesn't get it. That his, his conversion can't have been real because he's only afraid of the consequences. I mean, notice, in his repentance, it has nothing to do with Jesus. It is only circumstance deep. 
He repents out of fear of what's going to happen to him. And you can tell that he even lacks a real relationship with Christ because he asked the apostles to go for him. I mean, he doesn't know the Lord. And when he's corrected, when he receives the grace of rebuke, all he can see, he's just blinded by his personal circumstances. One author in our denomination, he describes that type of repentance like this. He says, There is a false kind of repentance that is really self-pity. You may admit your sin, but you aren't really sorry for the sin itself. You're sorry about the painful consequence to you. You want the pain to stop, so you end the behavior. However, there hasn't been any real inward alteration of the false beliefs and hopes, the inordinate desires, and the mistaken self-perceptions that caused the sin in the first place. This is where Simon's at. It's sad because he doesn't understand that repentance is primarily about knowing God and experiencing God's love for you more fully. Repentance is about knowing Jesus and being conformed to his image. That's, That's what repentance is for. And after this happens with Peter and Simon, Luke really, he just wraps up the the passage. It it almost seems abrupt, right? You're like, well, what happened to Simon? But in verse 25, it says, Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. I mean, it's a fitting ending if you consider that Luke has been contrasting the power of the world and the power of God. He's really put on display the the power of our master, Jesus, and the power of the magician, Simon. And we never hear of Simon again. But the good news of the king, well, he just kept going forward into more villages of Samaria. So, So what are some of the takeaways from this passage that we can bring into our own context in Manhattan? Well, I think what's key to apply this text into our own lives is to remember who Luke's writing to. Luke's writing to Theophilus. And Theophilus is probably a pretty wealthy and influential man if he can afford for an account of the early Christians to be written to him. So how do you think this story of a powerful, influential man coming to his own ruin would have struck Theophilus? It would have been a a wake-up call in a lot of ways. And I think what Luke is trying to tell Theophilus, and by extension us, is a couple of things. Well, the first, it's really simple, but there's no amount of money that that can buy or power that can earn right standing before God. Our peace and security, our standing before the Father, it cannot come from our own strength, our own affluence, or our own wealth, no matter what form that wealth takes, whether it be theological wealth, whether it be educational wealth, whether it be like monetary wealth, we can't find our our security and our peace there. And the second thing is, is really just a flip of that, and that's, well, the apostles don't think Simon's money or influence was significant, which would instruct us to lay the same level of significance on our money and our own personal affluence as our master does. I mean, to put it plainly, if we're regarding 
our money more highly than the Lord regards our money, then we're putting too much trust in our bank account. And if, if we're valuing our position at work more highly than the Lord values our position at work, then we're putting too much stock in our job. The last thing, the third thing that I think we can really draw out of this passage is this. If you think Manhattan will be won to Jesus through a big celebrity, well, you're, you're wrong. You're putting too much stock in the affluence of men. And notice, the apostles don't chase Simon down. They don't, they don't go looking for the big-name convert to, to push the mission forward. I mean, we literally never hear of Simon again in Scripture. But, but you and I, we continue to hear the gospel even today because of, of ordinary peasant Galileans who, as verse 25 said, they just kept taking the gospel forward into more and more villages of the Samaritans. So if I was to put this sermon in a sentence, all right, to take with us throughout the week, here's what I would say. There is no money or magic that can buy or earn you a relationship with our master because the currency of the kingdom is grace, not silver. There is no money or magic that can buy or earn you a relationship with our master because the currency of the kingdom is grace, not silver. I know, I know this is something we know, but it's something that we cannot forget as a body, as a covenant community here in Manhattan. We, we must continually seek to be standing before Jesus by grace alone, with our faith in, in what he did at the cross. And we have to let that continue to make us a people who are, who are generous and loving. So that's, that's what I think we need to take with us this week, is to know that the Lord loves us and that he's going to push us forward in Manhattan, just like he pushed these, these men forward through ordinary means as we continue to surrender to him and live in grace. So pray with me. Lord, as we come and as we sing and eventually we come to your table, Lord, we ask that you would, you would dwell richly in us this week. We ask that you would make us a people who are generous and who trust you for our daily bread. Teach us to, to view our affluence and our money rightly. And please make us bold in proclaiming the kingdom. Cause us to, to faithfully serve the neighbors that you've providentially brought into our lives. So that they would encounter your love too, Lord. Yeah. Please just work sincere repentance in our hearts and, and draw us up into your love, Lord. We ask these things in, in Christ's name. Amen.